Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Well, I was going to ask you, Stephanie, how did you like them apples? <laughs> I don't know if we want to keep that or not, but I don't even know what you're talking about. It's a quote from the book. <laughs> really? Well, no, not that. The apple reference. We'll talk about it later. Oh, gosh. The, the, the twisted but sweet apple. Oh. Only a few know. Yes. I, <laughs> I do know what you're talking about. I do. I do know what that is. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So here we are to talk about the Twisted Apples. The Twisted Apples. (laughs) Of Winesburg, Ohio. Um, Thank you for joining us. It was a heavy episode last week. Yeah. Good book. Heavy episode. Should be less so this time, I think. (laughs) Yes, yes. um, Because we're going back in time. Less feminist rants from me and more just pure anger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good, good. Um, So this week we, uh, I chose the book. That Stephanie read this week. Uh, it is Winesburg, Ohio by Sherwood Anderson, published over 100 years ago now. Published mm. in 1919. Um, so, quick synopsis. Uh, this is a hard book to, to summarize. Is there, a, is there a synopsis, really? In fact, people are even unsure of whether to call it a novel or not. Uh, I agree. Yeah. So, some call it a novel. Some call it a short story cycle. Um, but it centers... Uh, around the inhabitants of a, a fictional town, Winesburg, Ohio. Yeah, plot is a, is, is a loose thing in this book. So the best summary I think I could give is just that it's a series of short stories of the inhabitants of this town. They are all loosely connected in some way to George Willard, who I guess is the closest thing we have to a main character. And he is somewhat like an audience surrogate looking into the lives of these individuals who he has lived with and grown up with throughout most of his life. Uh, And the book culminates in him leaving his small town. And I mean, that is the very last page, but it doesn't feel like a spoiler because plot isn't the point. So I'm going to stop talking and turn over to Stephanie, my good friend whom I made read this book. (laughs) And I, um, do you want to do predictions? Do we want to start doing that? I mean, you've mentioned it several times now. We can make the rules. We're in charge okay, we here. we are in charge. I'm going to predict. I Because I'm going to start with this one because I don't feel like it's a hard one to predict. <laughs> there will be some that will be I will be unsure of. But I'm not unsure of this one. So I'm going to get my my track record going strong and predict that you hated this book. Probably gave it one star. Accurate. Okay. Yes. So that is your opening. Take it away. I may have never hated a book more than I hated this yes. book. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. We have something to talk about. Is this book? Oh my goodness. I don't think you're the first person to ask that. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna. Yes. Talk about it. Okay. The first 50 pages, I hated. Okay. And then after that, I fluctuated into indifference. To quote oh. Taylor Swift, it isn't love, it isn't hate, it's just indifference. Okay. Then I got back into hatred around like 65% of the way through, and then I had a brief moment of hope where there was an interesting page or two mm-hmm. of the book, and mm-hmm. then it was over. Okay. Was there a particular character you associated with that? Uh, the only part of the book that I found in any way worth reading was when, uh, I think it's Elizabeth. Elizabeth George's mother. Uh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. The last chapter about her. Oh, called Death? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's truly all. <laughs> the The best part of this book was when someone left it. <laughs> yes. They said, this world is not my home. <laughs> I'm just a passing I have got to get out of Ohio, <laughs> said everyone who's ever been to Ohio. Yes. 
I did not throw it against the wall, but I wanted to. Okay. I did read this book aloud on Girls Trip um, oh, that I went okay. on last okay. weekend, and I was like, I have 50 more pages in this book. I just have to finish it. I mean, we cannot start a thing where we're like, if I didn't enjoy this book, I don't have to finish it, or else we don't have a podcast, because we would just right. be saying, I didn't finish right. this, I didn't finish this. Do you remember the moment where you would have stopped reading it, like I did for the last one? Page 50, maybe. Okay, okay. Maybe before that. Okay. I'm yeah, yeah. Early on, I would have stopped reading this book. Um, it was slow. Mm-hmm. It was strange. It was bleak. But mm-hmm. all of that mm-hmm. would have been okay if it had been good. Okay. <laughs> um, so nothing actually happens, as you've referred to. There is not a, a plot. Um, there's no plot. It's just people walking around a town muttering to themselves and thinking about hands. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in one particular um, chapter called Hands. Yes. Which... Um, Incidentally, he's supposed to have written all at one go. Like, he sat down, wrote it all, the end. It's also one of the most well-regarded of all of the short stories in this. Well, it's the first one, so... The, after the prologue. The yeah. Book of the grotesques, right? Yeah, if your best part of your book is, like, yeah. page seven, then maybe maybe edit some more and see, right, what, see right. what you can do right. to the rest of it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so the premise, he seems more keen on proving the point of his own hypothesis about things being grotesque than about mm. writing an actual book. Mm. So every line of this book is him beating the dead horse of his own narcissism that he is correct about his hypothesis of grotesqueness. Who do you mean by he? The author. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, is he the one who came up with this idea of... The grotesque, uh, grotesques. I don't know if he came up with the idea. So, okay, so to back up, the, yeah, first, help me, help the me. first short story of this book is called The Book of the Grotesques, and it's it it sets up the rest of the book. Yeah. It's a, a character who's not actually a part of this town of Weinsberg. Um, he's looking back on his life, on all the people he knew, and he writes about them and calls it the book of the grotesque. I did read one article that I'll reference in the show notes that talked about how the word grotesque comes from the word grotto, where people, like ancient peoples, would draw human figures, but they were all they would always be very out of joint. Like, they would be over-exaggerated, kind of what we think of as caricatures. Yeah. But not exactly the same. But, I mean, Sherwood Anderson did not come up with the word grotesque. No. Right? But, but he might be it, the one who applies it in this way. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Um, in the reading I did for this, I didn't notice whether... Nobody commented on whether or not he came up with this idea or it had been explored before. He So he might have as far as... Because he very deliberately frames his characters that he's about to introduce you to as grotesques. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I just woke up one day and I was like, I'm going to start calling people the purples, and then I spent my entire life trying to prove how that is a correct and accurate description of the people, I, I don't think that this this word does not mean what you think it means, sir. I just... Yeah. Well, he, and I'm sure it's changed connotation through Right. It seems like he just came up with, this is what the word means to me, and mm-hmm. I'm going to hammer you over the head with it. Yes. And it's a pointless lesson. Like, thank you so much for teaching me this lesson. I did not need to know it. Yes. And the lesson, do you mind if I read a quote from it? Go for Cause it. Because you said he's trying to prove this hypothesis. And I think this is the hypothesis he's trying to prove. Um, from that short story, he says, it was the truths that made the people grotesques. The old man had quite an elaborate theory concerning the matter. It was his notion that the moment one of the people took one of the truths to himself, called it his truth, and tried to live his life by it, he became a grotesque. And the truth he embraced became a falsehood. Okay, well, by his own definition, he is now a grotesque because you believe in something. You have made your own truth of this word, sir. Mm-hmm. You are grotesque. And as was this book. Oh, I'm so excited. I will not interrupt you, but when we talk about his life, we'll come back to this. Okay. Keep going. I hope Keep it going. was hard and bleak as was reading this book. <laughs> I can't wait to tell you how he died. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, yeah, you referred, when you told me about this book, you referred to the chapters as, like, vignettes. It's just little 
little tiny short stories about different people in the book, and some of the people reoccur and some of them don't, mm-hmm. um, which I would love a good book like that. This just wasn't a, mm-hmm. a good one. Um, but every single character we meet is the crazy person who walks around town with a snake on their arm muttering about, like, yes, I would not let my children speak to any of the people in this book. They are all certifiably insane. And you can have one character like that, but every single person in this town, is this a town that's actually an insane asylum? Is this like the third season of Community when they realize they've been in an insane asylum the entire time? There are not 20 people who are this banana pants crazy. I read one article that talked about the outcasts yeah. of this town. He, I, they, the writer mentioned something about... There are so many outcasts, it makes one wonder if there are any incasts. Yeah, what is an outcast if every <laughs> single one of you is strange? I think there are some levels of strangeness, but certainly the strange sure. is there. I mean, everyone was muttering and leaping about and going on wild rants and petting other people and saying, <laughs> I have declared that I love you and walking away strangely. And yeah. I mean, every person is that weird kid you never spoke to or like... Like, trench oh, coat kid in high yeah, school. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, if these were real people, man. And I understand. You said caricature. Yes, mm. these are caricatures of the human existence. Like, these are extreme versions of people. But it made it so unbelievable because not everybody is extreme. Like, otherwise, mm. what's extreme? What's outcast? What's incast? If every single one of them is... Grotesque. It just got to the point where I was like, I get it. The people are weird. I don't want to talk to any of them. And I definitely don't want to hear their thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) And like... Because it is an omniscient narrator. Yes. And so most of what we hear is not dialogue between two characters. It's inner dialogue. And it's written in quotation marks. Like, this inner dialogue is the dialogue. Mm -hmm. I have met Sims characters with more interesting inner dialogue than the people of this book. Okay, so, like, the episode of The Office where um, Robert Dunder comes in, the episode about, like, being old and how you can't... Yeah. He he comes in and he's like, "Um, Mifflin and him were both very tall, and I met him at the Rotary Club, and he took his wife... Well, what what was that guy's name again? Jerry. Jerry Trupiano from South Jersey. You know this real well. I have it written down. Oh, that's right. But also, Steve Carell is not there to save the day and say, oh, okay, crazy old man, please walk away. And it's a whole book of just someone rambling about nothing, saying the least interesting things that could possibly be said. Someone wrote this... This down, and I have to ask myself why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hated this book. So. That's okay. That's the whole. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the premise of the podcast. <laughs> the characters are just walking around talking to themselves and hands. A lot about hands. Is this a theme? Does he have a point? Is he just creepy? Um, I I think you could probably call it a motif. Yeah. Okay, I don't know what it means or what it's supposed to symbolize. I'm sure. There are hands everywhere. I'm sure there is probably an article you could find on JSTOR analyzing that motif. I don't know anything about it. I don't though. think it's worth investigating. Wing Biddlebomb. That is a ca- that is a character's <laughs> name. Not his real name. Really? No, because he changed his name when he moved oh. to town. Oh, yeah. yeah. No one will know you're using an alias if you go by Wing <laughs> Biddlebomb. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, they call him Wing. Because his hands fluttered like wings. I did not even <laughs> catch that. I just, he was just like, I want to touch the boys. I want to touch the boys. And I was like, oh. maybe you should go back inside your house, wing Biddlebaum. He is so sad. And I, I couldn't ever figure out if he actually did the thing they accused him of. But either way, even if he is the nicest man, he's creepy. Mm. I... He's creepy. And then almost everybody is creepy. Almost everybody we meet is creepy, and they have hands, and they're putting their hands places. (laughs) Yeah. There are rules. Hands is your ice maker of this (laughs) episode. I also, like, I didn't think the writing was good. It's not like, hey, there was no plot, and Mm -hmm. it was slow. Like, I did not think the writing was good. At one point, he says, he wanted to chat her with his hand. Mm -hmm. As opposed to his nose, he wanted to hold her body against his body. Mm -hmm. 
all over his body, Jesse Bentley was alive. Oh, oh, Jesse Bentley. <laughs> the dialogue, which again is mostly internal dialogue and not like between two characters dialogue, right. but either way, sometimes both happen. You know how when you're reading the Old Testament and Good. <laughs> um, I don't know the, the language has been translated like word for word from a different ancient language, and so things sound really stilted and awkward. Clunky, yes. And every every sentence is clunky, and you're like, "This is not how a regular human person would talk, at mm-hmm. least not in English." Mm-hmm. But at least that was translated from ancient Hebrew. Mm-hmm. What's this guy's excuse? It sounds like someone was trying to bring back a dead language to translate his dialogue and it sounds like people who do not know how to be human. I think that's true. They don't know how to be human. I, yeah. If you start telling me that that is the point of this book... <laughs> I, well, I'm gonna let you finish. This book wore me all the way out. <laughs> At one point in time someone says they want to be a professional breeder of ferrets. <laughs> I think this is a good time to inform the world that I also really love David Lynch. Uh, so you might understand why I also liked this book. Um, go ahead. It, it was completely in earnest. And like because it's this book and every single person is weird, it's not like, oh, that weird character who wants to be a professional breeder of ferrets. Yeah. No, just the town watchman who's like, when I grow up, you know what I want to do? Yeah. Be a professional breeder of ferrets. There is a boy mentioned in passing, named Sugars McNuts. (laughs) Yes. What? (laughs) Are there no standards anymore? That definitely should be a male stripper's name. (laughs) Sugars McNuts. I mean... I don't even know. I just stopped and looked at the page for a long time. And yeah. he's he's just a, a yeah. throwaway character. We don't even learn anything no. about him. He he's just has his own chapter. No. It's just a sentence in passing. Mm-hmm. Sherwood Anderson was just like, you know what we need to tell everyone? There was a kid at the school. His name was Sugars McNuts. <laughs> oh, man. The, I, next, the next cat I get. <laughs> that would be a great cat name. That would be an adorable cat name. The scariest human name. True. Do not name a human that. Uh, yeah. No, we don't endorse that for your children, ladies. Yeah, like, that. that's not cute. If you meet someone with fur... An animal. You could if you have a, if you if you've become a professional breeder of ferrets, you could name one of the ferrets Sugars McNuts. That is solid. I agree. If I ever get a ferret, that's what I'm gonna do. Okay. You read passages you didn't like. Yes, from go ahead. Tears. Okay, let's see. The knuckles of the doctor's hands were extraordinarily large. When the hands were closed, they looked like clusters of unpainted wooden balls as large as walnuts fastened together by steel rods. Bad similes, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he smoked a cob pipe and after his wife, wife's death, sat all day in his empty office close by a window that was covered with cobwebs. He never opened the window. Once a hot day in August, he tried but found it stuck, and after that, he forgot all about it. This is the kind of interesting commentary we get for uh, 250 pages. That is the up-to-date stuff about the window being stuck. Yes, and I will agree. There are definitely some passages like that. I don't think it's all like that, but... I marked the <clears throat> Apple's Passage. Shall oh, good! We? Yes, I love Shall... the Apple's Passage. Really? Yeah, it's quoted in a lot of criticism. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Read it. The story... <laughs> I hope there's not a second apples. Go ahead. If he says this more than once in the book. The story of Dr. Reefy in his courtship of the tall, dark girl who became his wife and left her money to him is a very curious story. It is delicious, like the twisted little apples that grow in the orchard of Winesburg. In the fall, one walks in the orchard... And the ground is hard with frost underfoot. The apples have been taken from the trees by the pickers. They have been put in barrels and shipped to the cities where they will be eaten in apartments and filled with books and magazines and furniture and people. On the trees are only a few gnarled apples that the pickers have rejected. They look like the knuckles of Dr. Reefy's hands. One nibbles at them and they are delicious. Wow. Keep going. Keep going. Next sentence. There's more. No, keep going. 
Into a little round place at the side of the apple has been gathered all of its sweetness. One runs from tree to tree over the frosted ground, picking the gnarled, twisted apples and filling his pockets with them. Only the few know the sweetness of the twisted apples. Yes. I- so good. Explain yourself. First of all, he's like, let me tell you about Dr. Reefy and his courtship. But actually, actually, I would like to I would like to go on a wild ride. Just this is not the story of this apple. Like, this is not the story of the courtship. Oh, no. Like, no. And the part about like them going to apartments with stuff in it. Yeah, that you don't need. Okay, but tell tell me why this is worth having. Well, it's a metaphor for everybody in the book. They are the twisted apples of Weinsberg. I mean, the yeah, grotesques I... are. I don't want to get too much into this yet, but like part of the movement that this novel came out of, novel short story cycle, whatever, uh, is the revolt of the village and okay. like revealing kind of the underside, the seedy underbelly, if you will, of like rural small town life that often gets idealized. And some authors really, like, hit that hard and, like, this sucks. But what Anderson does is he shows them with their flaws, but then also loves them. They're the sweet, twisted apples. Okay, yes, I did understand that this was a metaphor for, like, I got that. I I just just hate it. it. I I love it. (laughs) Like how we said that almost at the same time. (laughs) That's okay, though. I, yeah. He is not for everyone, as we will discuss very soon. (laughs) Really not. I have a couple of things where I was like, this person was particularly crazy. Jesse was particularly crazy. Oh, yeah. Jesse, him who's and, a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Him and his, like, religious fanaticism and, yes. like, not even in a today kind of way. And, like, a, like. Like, he literally goes into the woods to with, try, a, with a sheep to kill and sacrifice. And a grandson with yes. him. At, it's, it's dark. Yeah. There's a whole, like. I think there's three or four. No, there's four short stories in the very middle that are all connected. And it's almost like a story within the broader novel. And yeah. they're all just about him. And I wish that they had connect. Like, if these had connected better, yes, George is kind of a through line. But right. not really. No. And loose. I love the book Homegoing is a bunch of vignettes of different people. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, one could maybe term it short stories. It's called a novel. But it's thrilling in the ways that they connect and, mm-hmm. like, the way that you see the domino effect of whatever did not do that. That's masterful to do that correctly. Mm-hmm. This guy just phoned it in. Like, yeah. <laughs> Nope. I did not like the depictions of women, but it was written in 1919, so I guess we're just going to have to write that up to history. Yeah, and we'll come back to that. Yeah. I marked one little bit where it was um, Jesse, or well, the author, talking about how the reader might not understand Jesse. It's talking about, like, the coming of industrialism, and all of this information is always going into your head. Can you imagine if you were, like, always getting information from a magazine and a newspaper Mm -hmm. and all this information? I was like, oh, sweet baby, you don't even know. (laughs) Try Twitter. Yeah, (laughs) he has some lines that are very, like, That was one thing, one thing in the whole book where I was like, oh, yeah, that's, like, a theme for life. And it really, Mm -hmm. I thought it was funny that... The 1919 version of being overwhelmed by Twitter <laughs> is that I think that so I pulled up some of my favorite quotes and I think it's from the same one. Yeah. The beginning of the most materialistic age in the history of the world when men would forget God and only pay attention to moral standards when the will to power would replace the will to serve and beauty would well nigh f- be forgotten. No. I might have written that wrong. Well, nigh forgotten in the terrible headlong rush of mankind toward the acquiring of possessions was telling its story to Jesse, the man of God, as it was to the men about him. Yeah. Yeah, that was like, oh, yeah, son, you you done called that. (laughs) Yeah, there were a couple of bits, especially in Jesse's story, about, Mm -hmm. like, the fact that he was so, so obsessed with acquiring wealth. I mean, Mm -hmm. pretty openly to the detriment of everything, including definitely his mental stability. Boy was nuts. And And made his daughter nuts. And made his grandson nuts. Yeah. His grandson leaves and is never heard from. And that all of that could have been a great theme within a book if the book were not garbage. (laughs) If it were not surrounded by all the junk it's surrounded by, that that tiny little gem um, could have shown more brightly. So did you like that cycle of stories, like those four stories that were just about Jesse? I mean, like is strong. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I hated Jesse as a character. Well, sure. But I found those to be, at least something was happening. It was more Some, plot driven yes, than the Yes, something rest was of the actually book. happening sure. in that part of the story. You had time to get invested in the characters. There are several characters who pop up once, nothing mm-hmm. happens in their chapter. They don't have interesting thoughts or good personalities, and then they're just gone. Mm-hmm. Like, truly, what was the what was like, the point? The philosopher. Tandy, Tandy yes. Yeah. Who was the philosopher? He's just, he follows George around and, like, talks to him. Is that Dr. Parsival? There's a lot of doctors, too. Yeah. He's described as having black teeth and a soiled shirt and being gross and he uh but not as gross as wash Oof. and he like maybe has committed a crime yeah i think that's dr parcival okay yes he didn't go when the girl was killed he didn't yeah. go with the other doctors yeah. to check her out yeah mm-hmm. yeah dr parcival not as gross as wash the guy who is called that because he doesn't yeah yeah <laughs> and hates all women oh he really hates yep. women mm-hmm. he really hates women mm-hmm. that was bleak yes yeah i I just have a hard time with understanding why this book exists. Okay. Which I don't know that I have much more to say that's, on the matter. No, that's good. Enlighten me. Why should this book exist? Um, so where should I begin? So it was not... It is part of the American canon. It's part of the capital L literature. But even as such, it was not well received even when it was published. Really? Why I thought a it shock. would be an interesting... Uh, it, it's become, like, very beloved in literary circles, but even at the time, it had mixed reviews. It sold, like, 5,000 copies in its first run, which isn't huge. H.L. Mencken really loved it. He gave it glowing reviews, but then other people hated it. Um, But not for the same reasons we do. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. um, Yeah, H.L. Mencken said it stood out like the Alps among the Piedmont Hills. Okay. (laughs) Stands out among other novels. Um, So he really liked it. But there was an anonymous um, New York Evening Post review of it, and the, (laughs) the quote that gets bandied around is that no man would wish to see this book in the hands of his daughter or sister. Oh, because it's so, like... It was very, um... Everybody had issues with all the sex in it. All the sex? It was a real spicy Uh, book. Stick around for next week. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, uh, yeah, this book compared to our next one, yeah. And compared to our modernized, certainly. Yes. But there is a preoccupation with social mores around sex and sexual tension and frustration. Yes, many a young couple walk side by side Mm -hmm. near the woods, which I guess is really scandalous for the day. Yes, and so that was people's main issue with it when it came out. Like, he got hate mail about this book. I, there was Because of that. Right. There was a part that deeply confused and troubled... Well, there were lots of parts that deeply confused and (laughs) troubled me, and I'm... Because none of this book left an impression on me, I'm not sure I can remember the name of the character, but he, like, leaves his his wife, they get married, his wife is cheating on him, and so he leaves, and then the wife's wife's mother begs him to come back, and the mother stands naked in front of him? The mother sends her daughter... Into the room, like he's in the parlor. Of yeah, the house, waiting. Right? And she sends her daughter in there naked. That's her ploy to try and get them back together. Yes. Can I find that problematic? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Please do. I feel weird about that. Oh, yeah. And that's part of why he hates women. He feels like they're all just like these sinister sirens that are trying to get their claws into you and manipulate you. So now he just hates all women. Yeah. Yeah. He makes um, that extraordinarily which, clear. Which, uh, mom, I'm not sure that was the best play either. Yeah. That, <laughs> There's so many problems. Yeah. There are, there are lots of problems yeah. with that attempt. And so that's why a lot of people did not like it. So um, sexy. That, so Winesburg is, an, is a fictional town, but he did grow up in Clyde, Ohio, which is pretty commonly thought to be what the story is based on. And the librarian of the Clyde uh, library burned his books. Like, literally burned his books. Oh, good. She kept one copy in, like, a locked room with all the other unsuitable books. And, you know, if anybody asked to see it, would have to roll her eyes and and get it out for him. That's amazing. Um, I, too, want to burn this book, but not for censorship reasons. Yeah, so it's, it's had a varied history. It was his most successful book. He did write other books and other short story cycles, but honestly, 
this was probably the apex of his literary career. That is a horrible career. Um, so he also wrote this book after suffering a pretty severe nervous breakdown. He had a wife and a few kids, I think, and was running this, like, paint business, some kind of mail-order paint business in Elyria, Ohio, I think. And he just, like, his secretary heard him mumble some things to himself. He seemed a little troubled. He walked out. They found him in Cleveland three days later. So he acts exactly like all the characters yeah. in his book, walking around mumbling and um, running and off. He, Yeah, he... There's varying opinion as to whether he truly had amnesia and couldn't remember those days or he did remember some of it because there was something with letters he wrote to his wife. Anyway, after that, he didn't really recover. He left his wife and kids, moved to Chicago uh, in a boarding house, which is where he wrote this book. And even though the backdrop is obviously Ohio, the characters were based on the kernels of them anyway, were people he would see and meet in the boarding house of Chicago. It makes sense to me that a mentally troubled person, yes. after having a mental breakdown, wrote these characters. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's which the you would think would make it book. more interesting. <laughs> like that's the genesis of this book, and he was very a lot of the things um, that he was doing in this book were new. You know, yeah. it seems like not up to snuff for us today. And I knew that, like, this yeah. is a big American literature book. Right. Like, I know that you handed it to me because you're an English teacher. Like, that is what this book is. And yet I still could not see. I mean, I obviously had to read books like that in school where it's right. like, hey, this might not be super entertaining, but we study it because it brought us X, Y, or Z. And mm -hmm. that's why it's great. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was one of What the, does this bring to the world except boredom and monotony? So it is part of the modernist movement in literature, which is and it's like the early part of it. And a lot of that was post World War One. Everybody's preoccupied with being disillusioned, feeling isolated, alienated. So a lot of the things you were saying, like Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> um, which I hate to say to you again. Uh, but Part of the modernist movement was playing with form as well. Um, that's where you get a lot of the stream of consciousness writing that came out, like James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, um, a lot of interesting poetry of the time. So the things he's doing with the form, the short story form and the way this cycle works, it was one of the first. So, like, you mentioned Homegoing. Right. Would it have happened without this one? And that doesn't – I don't think that necessarily makes the book good makes it important. Sure. <laughs> but Fine. Right. Yeah. I can recognize that this book is inventive. Was it in any yes. way entertaining or pleasant to read? No. I loved it. I. But that's just me. We'll try hard uh, to respect that. And a lot that. of it, too, and the things you don't like about just the straightforwardness of the writing, modernists also reacted against Victorian writing. You know, because every, every new age is just reacting to what came before it. Yeah. Because right? then we get postmodern. Um, but cutting away all that edifice... Mm -hmm. of Victorian writing, all the flowery oh, language. We, we cut it all away. Yeah. Cut it right out. Cut through the veneer. Like, here we go. Um, and he had a huge influence on particularly Hemingway and Faulkner, which I don't... Which I also think would bore me. Yeah, I don't love Hemingway. Like, I like this better than Hemingway, so Hemingway might not be for you. <laughs> uh, because he's, of course, known for his very short, terse, stark language. Um and he, it's interesting, like, he, Sherwood Anderson really, like, kind of mentored him and was friends with him and, like, suggested he go to Paris and meet Gertrude Stein and be part of that whole set with yeah. the Fitzgeralds or whatever. But then they had a falling out, and I don't know the details, but Hemingway wrote uh, The Torrents of Spring, which is a parody of Anderson. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, so, ma now I kind of want to read that just because it's making fun yeah, of the person who wrote this book. But... And he helped Faulkner get his first books published. Yeah, he he's one of those, like, this is his only real big piece of literature that, I mean, not his only. There He write, wrote other things. But this is the most important one, I guess. But it's also just his influence on the movement of that time and those writers. Modernists also looked a lot into psychoanalysis. That So all the interior stuff that's happening, that was a big part of the movement. And Faulkner cut ties with him like Hemingway did, but then later... Like, nine years after Anderson died, Faulkner got the Nobel Prize, and he, in his speech, his famous quote is, we are all children of Sherwood Anderson. Like, he is the progenitor of American fiction, and we all owe it to him. John Steinbeck has referenced it, you know. 
I don't think Hemingway ever did because his ego is too big. But yeah, so that's. But he himself was a bit of a grotesque. I, I feel like his life was so, he. Obviously, he left that wife and kids after that breakdown. He was married three more times. Cool. Um, he died. <laughs> he died in 1941. There's a like technical term for it, but what happened was he accidentally swallowed a toothpick. <laughs> There's a technical term for that. Well, it's like, happened enough times that they're like, we got to have a name for this. No, what happened as a result of the toothpick. As <laughs> a medical <laughs> word. Um, it's like Perry something. I don't know. But yeah, he when they like he did the autopsy on his body, that's why he got sick and died. He swallowed a toothpick at a New I, York party. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I You are a joke of a human. Like, it's so sad. It's just so sad. I will concede and call him influential, and I will call this book influential, but this book is not good. Like, (laughs) I enjoyed reading it. I will say, so my history with the book is we read excerpts from it in... This will make you mad. In a class I took in college called Great Books. (laughs) The greatest of books. I think we read, like, we didn't read the whole thing. I think we read three... Of the short stories, the one I remember reading was Paper Pills, the one you quoted from with yeah. Dr. Reefy and his knuckles and the apples. Uh, and I remember reading that and was like, oh, this is cool. Like I, We talked about, because one of the other things is like noticing the beauty in the, the small things yeah. in the in the mediocrity of the Midwest, which I can talk about that, too, because I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Indiana, close to Ohio. And I love a book that like addresses the simple things like I... I worry that I'm going to be put into a box by the people who listen to this podcast who don't actually know me. I can I can yeah, read oh, a absolutely. slow book. I can read a book that has almost no plot and it's just character development. Yeah. I can read a book that's just about like me observing life. It just has to be good. That like, my problem with this book is not that it, you know, I'm sure there are literary people that would agree with you. Like it's had it's had a checkered history. Yes. <laughs> um, I personally like it and identify with it because I think it really captures something about, like, small Midwestern towns and having grown up in one. Like, you talked about with Razorblade Tears having grown up in the South. Yeah. Something about it just feels almost like it's in my DNA and, like, the I can mediocrity of the Midwest. <laughs> the mediocrity of the Midwest is in your it, DNA. It is in me. Like, my hometown, the government did a study there in the 50s called Middletown, USA to see what normal life was like. And the name of your town is dropped in this book. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that. And because when we talked about last week, it feels like they dropped the name of my hometown. They actually yeah, yep, did they drop do. the name of your hometown. Muncie, Woot, um, Muncie, Indiana. Anyway, so we read some excerpts in my class called Great Books, and I was, like, really intrigued, and I liked the simplicity of it. But, And that's something that did draw me to it, is I liked the simplicity of the writing, but it wasn't Hemingway simplistic, which I don't. It, it had something more to it. And it is clunky at times. I 100% agree. Um, but then you'd hit those, like, gems of truth where I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, so I promptly, the good English student I was, went out and bought the book. Go you. And it sat on my shelf for about 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. Um, and is that the book that I had the pleasure of reading is. from? It is. I finally picked it up and read it during COVID lockdown. <laughs> that is when so, you found this book. That is and, when I read it. <laughs> okay. In, in its entirety. Um, so, yeah, not a lot going on. Not a lot I was going hanging on. out in my house with a Talking to yourself in your head. Yep. So I was able to focus on it. I think if it had been a busier time in my life, I might have just... I don't know that I would have hated it, but I might have It might not have held your it. attention. Yeah. Because it is... I mean, even if it's the first, you know, to do certain things, it is a book that's 100 years old. Mm-hmm. There are some things that are still resonant, but then there are others that's like, uh, okay. Yeah. It reads like a 100-year-old book. <laughs> yeah. So that w- that's my history with the book. And one of the things I like, too, along with the simple style, is its earnestness. So a lot of, I mean, all these characters are so isolated. They're so alienated. They're lonely. Yes, and everyone that's kind is of the so point. lonely. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, not everybody in the town can be like that. I There are, like, a couple, like that one boy that gets drunk and is like, I love life. Yeah. <laughs> I think his name's Tom. Yeah. You know, there's some, like, little bright spots, but for the most part, it's it's about feeling alienated, feeling disillusioned. You know, much like The Great Gatsby, except The Great Gatsby is set in New York in the Roaring Twenties. And yeah. this is in podunk nowhere Midwestern town. Yeah. So 
you don't have as much to hang your hat on <laughs> and distract <laughs> yourself from the weirdness. But I like its earnestness and that simplicity, too. Like, it's very reportery. I mean, George Willard is a reporter. Mm-hmm. And so some of the language gets very reportery. But it's also just so honest with how bad they feel. And I think nowadays we tend to go to irony or sarcasm to deal with our our isolation. Because I think you could, like, I think it would be a really cool thing if somebody tried to rewrite this for, like, you know, 100 years later. Because I think there's still a lot of disillusionment, alienation, having to do with the technology and social media around us and stuff going on in the world. Like, what would that look like today? I I thought, I want to rewrite this book and make it better. Do it! Do it! It would be so cool. Because we tend to be all ironic. You know, the Seinfeld thing. Like, we're just going to all be ironic about our crappy lives and how horrible of people we are. Yeah. Um, But this was not like that, which was refreshing to me living in this age. Because it's like, oh, we're just being real, real honest here, real earnest about. Yeah. I guess it didn't just. I mean, I love a good sad story. I... I am honest and earnest about my own feelings of sadness and loneliness More and whatever. so than me, which... Uh, More yeah. so than yeah. most. <laughs> so, I mean, that's... Everything you just said sounds like it should be right up my alley, except that it just did not ring as authentic because mm. every single person you come across... I, you needed more variation. Yeah, or it just... <laughs> I don't know exactly how to put it. Like, so it wasn't believable to you? No, none of these people were believable. I mean, I know religious fanatics, but Jesse was, like, over the top Mm -hmm. to the point where I'm like, that person is not real. And, like, really all of them were just pushing it to the point where I didn't believe them. And Mm -hmm. therefore, their earnestness about their feelings, I did not get invested in or care about Mm, okay like if you're a character and you're telling me about your feelings i assume that your feelings are caricatured too does that yeah yeah Yeah. i i don't they didn't all seem as i i expected you to have a one-star review because you were just straight up bored i wasn't expecting you to think that the characters were so over the top as they are actually yeah um I i found some of them over the top but not all of them I thought every one of them was a ridiculous, like, like an alien race tried to decide. <laughs> they had a little bit of data, and they tried to make a person, and they were like, this is probably pretty close. That's what they all seemed like to me. And so I did not care about their problems or their feelings. And I love a good book about a feeling, mm-hmm. especially a dark feeling. Yeah, some like some of the Goodreads reviews that were one star, uh-huh. it was it was just too sad. And I was like, I would not have cared if this book was sad. I wanted it to be interesting. Like yeah, that's interesting. I did not dislike it because, oh, everyone just has a sad story. Tell me a sad story. Uh-huh. I love a sad story. I just didn't think it was good. Yeah, and that's that's fine. I and maybe it's just different people's emotional reactions. Because our emotions are different. Because I, I, I get sad with some of these characters. Like, Elizabeth, man, she makes me sad. Kate makes me sad. The teacher. Yeah. I I thought all of their behavior was so strange that, I, yeah, again, I just didn't find their feelings believable because they were all behaving so weird. Do you think that's partially the, like, time disconnect? Because this is 100 years some ago? Some of it must be because I... Yeah. Because there's also a lot written about this, like, capturing America on the brink of change. Because it's like the Industrial Revolution is about to happen, but people are still using, like, gas lights and and horses. Um, Things are about to change a whole lot for these people. I just thought everyone's behavior was very weird. There's Mm -hmm. the teacher, Kate. Mm -hmm. um, She talks about the boy, George. She refers to him as the boy and Mm -hmm. how he is her student. Mm -hmm. And thinks about him and tries to get with him and he like in the chapter before talks about how his teacher gave him a book this is inappropriate and gross and meanwhile a weird old priest is Uh, watching her from a hole in the wall in a church everyone is being creepy the hands being put places everyone just go (laughs) home and Stop looking at other people. It's like they want to connect to other humans so badly. They're so isolated. But every time they try, it just 
falls to crap. Yeah, and, it, like, it, it, uh, the philosopher, backward. I really just did not like him. He, yeah, he's it, not great. It said, you know, he waited until George Willard was alone so that he could go corner him and talk to him. He was and annoying. Would, every single one of the people yeah. in his book is, like... I, Harassment. They would be charged with harassment if you're following someone around until they're alone. And, like, I've never spoken to this girl, but I'm going to go tell her that I've decided that I love her. So people are just acting weird. And, yes, some of it is the fact that people acted differently than we consider yeah, normal in I don't, And I don't think that's all of it, though, too. I, yeah, I think there a lot of them are so starved for human connection. They're trying to reach out, and it just never works. Like, with Elizabeth and Dr. Reefy with Kate and George and like she knows it's in because as soon as he starts to reciprocate she runs away she's like yeah oh this is not good <laughs> yeah and then there's the kind of love triangle thing with the girl who likes the the saloon keeper and he is abusive yes. um Belle is her name Belle I don't remember or something yeah I can't remember either but yeah because George is interested in her yeah goes on and a then with her he like goes on some rant about how mm-hmm. she needs to keep herself for him and how he's going to take her and mm-hmm. i just yeah i think it's just it's just also sad. like it, to me they're all just so isolated they're so lonely and every time they try to reach out it's just it's sad and awkward and i feel like that's real life for a lot of people <laughs> Yes, this is definitely a, uh, a caricatured version of being so sad and awkward that every time you reach out, it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And so the main character, eventually, he's like, yeah, I'm going to leave. Yep. Peace out. <laughs> yep. And on the train going away, he just he doesn't remember the weirdness, though. He remembers the little the little moments that I think then get used to paint that idyllic picture of early American rural life. And look at the small town. And isn't it so quaint? And... Um, Which is what he's trying to say is like, actually, it's not. (laughs) But this is what we remember of it. Okay. By this point in the book, I was so deeply bored. Uh, One of the parts that I read aloud on my girl's vacation that I went on this last week, I'm pretty sure it was George just like... He thought about the grass and the mm-hmm. dew on the grass, and mm-hmm. then he thought about the barn and the animals in the barn, and then he thought about the time that there was a storm and the rain from the storm. And I was like, you have to stop. I see the beautiful thing that, like, yeah, I, I get that now that that's what he was doing, but I was like, how are you telling me the most mundane right. thoughts? Again, I... I respect what it was trying to do. I did not like yeah, this book. Yeah, and that's fine. And I fully expected you not to. This is one of those that, like, it is part of the capital L literary canon, but it's not It's not like The Great Gatsby where literally every high schooler reads it. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a little bit, like, some people have no idea it exists. I had never heard right. of this book before. Right. Um, you said it to me, and I was like, that's obscure. Don't know what that yeah. is. <laughs> okay. I don't have... Are you much more to say? I did learn a new German word. You learned a German word. So, you know, do you know Bildungsroman? No. I did know that. That's like the coming of age novel. Okay. Right? But there's like a sub-genre of it. Th- this book, one article I read, kind of falls into. So, new German word that I'm not sure I'm even going to pronounce right. I mean, German's pretty much as it looks. Kunstelroman. Roman. It's like Buildings Roman, which is a coming of age, but it's specifically a coming of age of an artist on the threshold of becoming an artist. In this case, a writer on the threshold of becoming a writer. Okay. Um, George. Yeah. Slash Sherwood Anderson. I would argue. He, yeah. George is a pretty thinly veiled. Yes. Sherwood yeah. Anderson. He even goes on a tirade at one point in time about how to write well. And I was like, really? Sherwood, right. you're going to give us a lesson about how to write well? Thank you also, so much. Also, his mother, like, he didn't leave Clyde, Ohio until his mother died and then yeah. left. Like, so there's, the parallels abound. Yes, that was um, very clear. But. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to read some scathing one-star reviews? Oh, sure. Uh, Faye writes, so this is the guy we have to thank for 20th century American literature sounding like it was written by depressed and barely literate 12-year-olds. Yes, Faye, it it is. Ugh, this was excruciating. Everyone in this town was either clinically depressed, yes, malignantly, malignantly narcissistic, or certifiably insane. Some of them even hit the trifecta. 
if that's relatable to small town Americans, well, I'm glad I'm Canadian. <laughs> I really liked that one. She was like, if this is America, I'm so glad I'm it, Canadian. It, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come to Ohio, Faye. Yeah, not, at least not Winesburg. Um, yeah, and I think she's right, and I think that's part of the point he's making is, yeah, like I said, it's the revolt of the village. Not as idyllic as you want it to be. <laughs> Elizabeth, I only... Oh, this is so great. I only read it to impress a horrid ex-boyfriend. It was terrible. <laughs> I just really enjoyed that. That's so funny. I bet he was an English major. <laughs> Martin says, This was a short book that I felt like took an interminable amount of time to read. Agreed. Well, read it during a pandemic. You. <laughs> <laughs> Mike says, To me, this book can serve only two purposes. As a historical artifact to show how far the American novel has evolved, or as an instrument of torture to be used to turn high school kids off the idea of reading to themselves. Ooh, yeah. Uh, That makes me think of a John Steinbeck quote I read, because he commented that Winesburg, Ohio, made the modern novel, and it has not come further since. So, yeah, I just okay. feel like, which, of course, that was Steinbeck writing, you know, a while ago. So. <laughs> a while ago. Yeah. Angeline says, miserable and plotting, typical fodder for men who assume that realism means joylessness and that simplicity is synonymous with dull. Yeah, part, I will say that first part, part of the, the modernist movement and naturalism. Uh, yeah, it was all pretty depressing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, John says, I've never burned a book, but I'm considering making an exception in this case. Who am I kidding? It's a library book, and I don't need another bill. <laughs> but you know who he could burn this with? The librarian in Clyde, Ohio. <laughs> Why do so many people recommend this book and give it such a high rating? I'm in agony trying to finish it. It's boring, dull, drab, outdated, and filled with negative, lonely people. Yep. I'd rather dive into a bucket of my own vomit <laughs> than spend any more time on this book. And finally, Lauren kind of made me want to curl up and die. (laughs) Yep. They are sad. They're sad people. But they weren't even interesting sad. I thought they were interesting sad. They were boring sad. sad. They interested me. If you're going to be sad, at least be interesting about it. So that's that's Winesburg, Ohio. I love it. You hate it. That's okay. I I'll guess I'll ask for posterity's sake. Have you changed your no, mind? No, I have not changed okay. my mind. Great. I feel like this is going to be a theme. Yeah. Would you recommend it to anybody? No. <laughs> I'm determined to continue to ask this question. Well, what I really want is for one of us eventually to like one of the books. I think we will. I think, right. like, it's got to happen. We had this idea, so we're getting the worst of them out of the way. <laughs> yeah. We do like some of the same books. We do. We do. We, It'll happen. We are friends because we have things in common. <laughs> Special episode. It's coming. Yeah. Okay, so one of these days, we're going to, you know, at least give like a three star to one of the books that we like. It's cool. Okay, so next week, I want you to read Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. And spoiler alert, I've already finished it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussions of the books we love. And the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Bye.